we have been, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about relationships because how many people know relationships are important, right? We all know that the way that we interact with the world around us, not just our environment, but the people in our world really matters. And it doesn't just matter to you, it matters to Jesus. One day, a teacher of the law came up and asked of Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important rule in all of Scripture? What's the most important thing? And Jesus answered, well, the first thing is that you would love God with everything that you have. And then the teacher almost interjects at at this point, but Jesus doesn't take a breath and says, but the second, or to put it alongside that, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus places into that moment what is the abstract love of God into the very concrete reality of learning to abide with and love those that are around us. And so Jesus says in that moment that, well, I know that you want to make this all about a vertical relationship, but if, I'm, if I want to summarize the entirety of the scripture, all the law and the prophets hinges on these two things. Love God with everything, but you've got to learn to outwork that in your love for the people around you. And that begins, that begins, that love that Jesus holds so central to everything, begins with those closest to us. Begins in our home and those around us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about marriage. I want to go uh, into that. And and before we jump in, I I mean, we all know this, you know this, marriages are important, right? We know that marriages are important regardless of the overwhelming numbers of social and psychological study, uh, the economic and community impacts, plus the personal and uh, and, and familial benefits all show that when marriages are flourishing, society flourishes. And then when and if your marriage is strong, you are stronger. And when you're stronger, we're stronger. And so marriage for you and for us is so central. If we can work together to have great marriage beyond just for you in your life, because the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. When marriage is a blessing, it's a good thing. It's a When marriage is a blessing, it's a blessing. But how many people know when marriage is not a blessing, it's not a blessing. (laughs) And and so, beyond just for you in your life, for us as a church community, we flourish when marriages are strong. And so what I want to do today is I just want to encourage us to look again at marriage. Look again at your marriage. And I'm going to just kind of be flying through this at 30,000 feet because, again, I'm not in your marriage. Only you are in your marriage. And so a lot of this uh, message today is going to be outwork in the car trip home. You're going to enjoy just pretending like you loved the macaroni craft that you got on the way home. I want you to jump in your car, kind of ask like how the service was, where did we want to go eat, go home, get into an air-conditioned environment, get your Sunday comfy clothes on, sit on the couch, and have a conversation. Because this is more than just an, uh, just an encouragement for this moment. This really, I believe, if you can, if we can, together, put in the effort in our marriages, not only does your house get stronger, but this house gets stronger too. But I also know that not everybody here is married. And so I want to say this before 
I jump in. Scripture, especially throughout the New Testament, shows that marriage is a gift. It is not a given. Marriage is a gift. It is not a given. It's a possibility, to summarize the words of Paul. Marriage is a possibility. It is not a promise. And while marriage in my life is one of the sources of the greatest joys in my whole life, marriage, I would wish my marriage on anyone. Can I say that? Can I just... I would, I would wish my marriage on anyone. And marriage, apart from my relationship with the Lord, is the single most significant relationship that I have in my life. But, while marriage is a good thing, it is not the only thing in life. Right? And so if you are here and you're single, maybe you're newly single, maybe uh, you've, life has brought you to a point, I want to tell you in this moment that single is a whole number. Your value to us as a church is not diminished or lesser because you are not married. Your experience of God, your relationship in Him is not diminished because you do not have this shape of relationship. Your value to us as a church is not dependent on whether you have this shape relationship or not. However, marriage is a central and important relationship. And so sometimes we fall into the trap of not wanting to talk about something central because it is not universal. And so what I want to do today, if you are married, if you're going to get married, if you were married, if you're never married, just lean in today because if you are married, hopefully this encourages you. And if you're not married or you will be married or you'll you'll never be married, you can give unsolicited marriage advice to everyone you meet. (laughs) Just, this is my gift to you. And so, what I want to do today is I just want to encourage you to do what you can. Because how many people know we, we do everything, it seems like in this moment, we do everything on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. Purpose is in kind of every realm, whether it's work or study or exercise or faith or finding someone, we do that on purpose. But it can seem to be that The relationships that we have already established are oftentimes left to play out just as they go, right? We give all of the intentionality, all of the purpose in finding someone, but once we found our person, sometimes relationships are just left to play out. Perhaps that's because every love story, whether you jump on, you read a book, or you watch a TV show, or it's Christmas time and the Hallmark movies are kind of coming out, they all have the same story. City girl meets country boy. Country boy falls in love with city girl. They overcome a couple of obstacles. Against all odds, they fall in love. And they find themselves walking down the aisle to the altar and roll credits. Right? Every love story that we are, we, we are familiar with, every love story that is popular, all paints the effort and the work and the beauty of everything around it leading up to the moment that marriage begins. But how many people know the moment that those credits roll, the real story starts? And sometimes we, we just let, we, get, we do everything else in our world on purpose, but we let our marriage just play out haphazard. And so, uh, interesting... Um, this Friday, uh, Brioni and I will have been married for 11 years. This Friday, yes. Um, and I've got to be honest, it feels like we're starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> feels like we're just on the cusp of starting to figure it out. But I say that uh, because on the other hand, uh, we are just getting started. 
You know, 11 years, it's, it's been a journey, but we also know that we're only just 11 years in. And I would love to give you eight keys to a long-lasting marriage, but we are right in the middle of the first part of our story. And so what I want to do is I want to just give you three encouragements today. Three things that you can do. Not your spouse, but you can do. So you can jump in the car, have a conversation, and what I want to do, what I want to do is... Uh, usually what I would love to do is I would love to just grab a big text of scripture and begin to kind of lay it out. But all I want to do today, because I have watched time and time again as relationships have begun to dissolve and marriages have begun to fray at the seams like a jacket that's too small that when push comes to shove, it begins to tear at the seams. And what I want to do is I want to just give you three pastoral encouragements for you to pick up and inspect to see what can you do to just add to your marriage, to... Go deeper in that relationships. Three encouragement, three intentionalities, and they are simply this. Work on connection, work on consistency, and work on your conflict. Connection, consistency, and conflict. And everyone's like, oh boy. Um, fantastic. So the first one that I want to encourage you to do in terms of going deeper, really just being intentional in the area of your marriage is pursue intentional Connection. Pursue intentional connection. The wonder and the beauty of, of, of dating, I'm not sure if you remember this, or maybe you are dating right now, and I want to just encourage you to be in the moment that you're in. Don't keep waiting for a day that you're married as though the moment that you're married, everything gets sorted out. Be in the moment that you're in, but if you want to, if you are married, throw your mind back to when you are dating, and you remember that every time you hang out, Every time that you get together, there has been a level of intentionality in organizing that, getting to that place, finding that spot that you'll be together. And every time you hang out, there is an active intentionality to be in that place together. What happens, though, when you get married is what was an active, kind of an active company turns very quickly or runs the risk very quickly in turning into a symptom of passive company. It's just like you wake up in the morning, they're there. You come home at night, they're there. You just, Saturday, they're there. Just, but it, and you run the risk of when you're dating, everything has an intentionality. There is like a purpose. You've thought about it. You're there. And so when you're there, you're there. But now they're there all the time. And without a level of intentionality, you run the risk of cohabitating with somebody that is just a, another staff member in the running of your household. And you, if you don't give it intentionality, if you're not focused on regularly, intentionally connecting, you will only cohabitate a space and you won't pursue each other's heart. So what I want you to do, my first encouragement, is intentionally connect. Here's a question for you. When was the last time that you really went out of your way to connect with your spouse, to engage with each other. When was the last time that you kind of went out, and I'm not just talking about that regular date night that you ask the same three questions about your kids and then eat your dinner in silence. I'm saying when you went out, you really asked and dove into discovering who that person on the other side of the table is. When was the last time that you went out of your way to really connect with them? 
When was the last time you really sought to discover the other incredible person in your relationship? Because here's the story. That every love story, and like the, the credits run, the story's over. Can I tell you that your spouse didn't stop evolving and developing and becoming when those credits ran? When they walked down the aisle, they didn't cease to continue to grow. And so every time, whether it was last night or whether it was a year ago that you had a quality, meaningful conversation, that person has evolved. They've had new experiences. They've had new dreams. They've got new passions. They've got new things about them that is on you to discover and bring out and love. When was the last time that you really went out of your way to discover who that person is? What are their new fears? What are their new dreams? What is, what is it right now that they would love your help in focusing in on? The issue is, in order to do that, we need to be present. Yes, they're there, but we have to also really be there. There was a recent poll online that asked a number of couples what the biggest relationship stressor is in your home. And do you know what the number one answer was by a mile? Their phone. Because when we're together, they're never present. When we're together, they're always more available and more engaged with somebody that's not in the room than the person they're sitting across the table with. One couple said that their phone, the other person's phone, is a constant relationship stressor because what they're viewing is building up in their mind a fantasy that I can't live up to. So if we are going to intentionally connect, we need to really pursue connection. And that means we have to be present. Put down the phone. Just, just give yourself 20 minutes to have a meaningful conversation with your spouse. And I guarantee you, you will discover that incredible person that you fell in love with all over again. In order to do that, though, in order to love them well, you need to discover how to speak their language. There's a book that came out, predates the, you know, the five love languages, which has become you know, highly popularized by Judson Swihart. And he wrote this book called How Do You Say I Love You? And early in the book, he gives an illustration of a German-speaking man saying, Ich liebe dich to a girl who speaks exclusively French. And with everything in his heart, he was trying to tell this woman that he loves her, but she just was unable to understand it at all. And the challenge for every person, if you've ever been in any kind of relationship, there is an earnest on you to discover how to say I love you in a way that that person actually understands. Have you experienced this? I grew up with a brother who was dead set on uh, becoming a world champion at giving me a mental breakdown by just softly and lightly touching my ear. Right? It was like... We, 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 we had that invisible line. I, th- I remember very vividly that invisible line in the back seat became a very visible line as my mom put a line of tape down the back. <laughs> and then Brendan would just kind of begin to, like there's a line there. He could, he could send me into a rage by simply putting his finger on the line. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing? Get out of my space. And he, and he would just... He would just Oh, he would, like, it's, uh, sorry, I'm having a moment. 
And he could just, he could send me off like in a second. And then I fell head over heels with somebody whose primary love language is affectionate touch. What a journey. Right? It's like, there is a part of me that is in constant fight or flight every time I'm just trying to hold her hand. It's like... But I discovered that, that, that stroking hair, that holding hands did everything that my words would never able to do. And so in your relationship, have you taken the time to discover how your spouse understands and speaks their language of love? Because if we're going to deepen our ability to connect and as such love, we need to learn to say I love you in the language that they understand. And there's a whole lot of love languages. We're not going to get into all of them together. But it is crucial to discover your spouse's most valuable, uh, valued language and become fluent in them if they are not similarly important to you. And here's the thing. And if you're parent in the room and you've got your middle schooler, I'm so sorry sitting next to you. Because central to every relationship in terms of being able to express your love for one another, especially in a Christian marriage, a central part of being able to express your love one to another is that of sex. Everyone's like, what? (laughs) What are you doing? I did. I'll say it again in a second. (laughs) Central to every relationship, central to every marriage, is your ability to say and express your love in this covenant relationship way that God has designed and expressed for us to be able to show, give, and receive love in this incredibly sacred way, one to another. And yet we continue to kind of shrink back from the fact that it's like, you can't say sex in church. It's like, God made it. And I also know that it is essential to your ability in a marriage to give yourself from, uh, to each other is your ability to have open conversations about sex. So I'm just helping you out by doing it very publicly in front of a lot of people. But if you want to intentionally connect, can I encourage you to regularly find ways to be physically intimate? And again, if you're even sitting next to your adult child, I'm so sorry. But give yourself to the other person often. Give yourself to the other person physically often. One issue with that is sexual energy, like all other energy, uh, is like all other energy. And so when you're tired, it is easy to forget it or put it off or put it on the back burner or forget about it all together. And a lack of intimate touching, a lack of physicality in a relationship often leads to a distance between spouses that only physical intimacy can restore. And I use the word give very intentionally. And this is not just for the newlyweds. This is not just for those that it's like, oh, of course. No, every person in your marriage, learn to give yourself to the other person regularly. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like every couple that I've counseled through marriage has fallen for this trap of thinking that both parties will just suddenly and spontaneously desire physical intimacy at the same amount, the same amount. 
But you've discovered, and I know that people across this room have discovered, that people, one partner, will desire physical intimacy in a different way, at a different time, at different timings. Right? And in those moments, you, in your marriage, have the opportunity to give yourself to the other person. You're like, Ryan, you're being weird. Let me read the Bible. (laughs) You can give sex as a gift. This is what Paul says, a bachelor himself, by the way. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Just by the way, Paul, a bachelor himself, is giving an absolute countercultural agency to women of that day. Men at that time had all the sexual power, and he was saying, no, there is an equal rights for you to have claim one to the other. So this is not just like, you know, husbands are not just like, ha, 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 see? No, he's saying, both of you have absolute agency over yourselves. He's saying, give yourselves to the other person. I do want to say this, that it is really hard to give a gift when someone thinks it's owed. If you are here in this room and you have in your mind a, a, an expectation that you are owed physical intimacy in this way, it is really hard for your spouse to give this gift to you because all it is then is a payment that you think you deserve. The moment that you take that agency, that gifting of this away from that person, sex and that person becomes transactional and not relational. And sex runs the risk of going the way of every other sex out there in the world that it is exclusively for you and not for the both of you. It's really hard to give a gift when you think that it's owed. But what I do want to say is this. Pursue intimacy. Intentionally connect with one another. Pursue intimacy. And here's the thing. Intimacy is built on exclusivity, not on experience. Intimacy is built on exclusivity, not on experience. Intimacy is that secret place that just the two of you occupy. It's that secret place. And this is not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, conversationally. There are places and spaces that the two of you should only exist. There are things that you should, in your marriage, talk about that you don't talk about with anybody else. There are desires and hopes and dreams that you need to learn to share in that secret place. Do you remember that movie, Secret Garden? It's like there's this like secret place that only they know about, and they cultivate it into something beautiful. Can I encourage you? Create that secret place and fight to get there regularly. Find yourself in that place that just the two of you exist. First thing, intentionally connect. We're going to race through it. First question for you this week is, how can you give attention to connecting this week? How can you, not they, how, not how do you think they could give attention to connecting? No, how can you give attention to connecting this week? The second thing I would encourage you to be intentional about is developing a trustworthy consistency. Trustworthy consistency. Is this okay? 
Everyone's like, oh man, shivers. Um, trustworthy consistency. All relationships are built on trust, right? We know this, you know this. Uh, there is a phrase that says that trust is the breath of love. And without it, relationships are gasping for air. Written by my favorite poet, the world-famous Anonymous. Man, didn't they write some stuff? Relationships are built on trust. What is trust? Trust is the, the confidence in their motive and ability to do or be who you think they are. That they, I can have confidence in their motive and ability. Or it's confidence that they will act, react, think and speak the same with you as away from you. That they are going to be consistent. They're not going to be surprising when they're in different environments. Have you ever met somebody like that? It's like you don't know who they are going to be each day that you interact with them. It's just like they're just a surprising person. One day they're quiet, the next day they're loud. One day they're an introvert, the next day they're an extrovert. One day they're kind of like very cautious, the next day they're flotation. It's like, who are you going to be today? Right? It is very hard when you interact with those people, let alone marry somebody that is inconsistent in the way that they behave. To trust. If you don't know who you're going to wake up next to, how do you trust who they're going to be when they leave the front door? Can I encourage you, pursue intentional consistency in your life. In your marriage, learn to be steady. Paul, writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, what I want you to do is I want you to pursue a righteous life. And right in the middle of what he defines a righteous life as, is somebody who is steady. Right? Just somebody who's not knocked about, not changing each and every day, not based on the weather deciding what personality type they're going to put on. Learn to be steady. Learn to be consistent. Not just in your relationship with God, but with those around you. That it's like one day they're going to be present, the next day they're not present. One day they're going to be passionate, the next day they're going to be cold. Learn to be consistent. And here's the thing, you can only build that up By turning up day after day after day. You cannot build trust based on intensity only by consistency. You can't just be like, you know what, and this is especially true when you're raising kids. Right? You have the opportunity to define their expectations for them by simply being consistent in front of them. It's like, I know who my mom is going to be today. I know what I can expect of my dad because he's just that day after day after day. Can I encourage you, pursue intentional consistency in your life. And you can't do that by just simply being like, I'm going to be a more present dad and then just turning up a couple like to every event for a month and then dipping. No, just be consistent. Be consistent. Just continually Turn up in that place. Here's the question for you. How can I be more consistent? And this is not just for your spouse, by the way. This is for you as well. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. See, there is a security that comes from integrity. There is a security that comes with being consistent in your speech, thoughts, actions, and reactions. 
There is a security that comes with that. But sadly, I have watched so many times as insecurity begins to eat people up when it comes to living because they are living with a lack of consistency and a lack of integrity. I've watched so many times as people have begun to just devolve in their own life because of their own cheating, because of their own spending habits that they're keeping secret from their spouse, because of the way that they're eating without telling their spouse, because of the way that they are interacting and speaking with people online. It begins to eat them up before it begins to eat up the relationship. Stress begins to creep in, begin to lose sleep, begin to lack confidence as the erosion of the truth begins to eat away at you and soon the walls go up and you can no longer have the relationships you desired. Why? Because you lacked the security of consistency. Can I encourage you? Integrity is not just for the people around you, it is for you as well. Learn to live consistent. Learn to be the same. Perhaps today then, it's time to come clean. Maybe it's not a huge thing. Maybe it's just a small thing. Maybe it's just, you know what? Uh, When I leave for work, I get a sneaky cheeseburger on the way home every day. And I haven't told you about it. But if you're wondering why paleo isn't working for me, (laughs) it's because I'm not working for it. Right? Maybe it's just that you've got to start to let go of some of the things that you've been holding on to, these inconsistencies that would be surprising to your spouse if they found out about it. Simply come back to a place that you can be vulnerable and transparent with that person. Fight for clarity. Fight for truth. And if you are going to fight, you're going to have to have those conversations. You need to learn to cultivate healthy conflict. We know this. Honesty paves the way to life. Honesty paves the way to life. This is true when it comes to God, our ability to come before Him and just say, God, I am a mess. He's able to come into that place and begin His cleaning work. We know this when it comes to addicts and people that are struggling with debilitating uh, things that just have a hold on their life. It begins first with a point of honesty. It's true in work. It's true in relationships that honesty paves the way to life. That doesn't mean you get to spout every unfiltered thought out your mouth. So I'm just being honest. It's like, no, you're being mean. Being rude. No, no, no. Honesty can still value people. Honesty can still honor. In fact, the reason that you are choosing honesty is because you want to honor that person. And so it's not just, oh, well, you know, Ryan said we've got to just be honest. And it's like, to be honest, the way that you wash those dishes is the worst. And you just suck at that. Right? It's it's not about attacking the person. If we are going to have these conversations, I love in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, that love is not easily angered. Do you catch that? It doesn't say love is not angered. This is not easily angered. You're going to get angry. They're always there. You go, but love is not easily angered. Because it's not just letting everything fly off the handle. No, no, no. It has the will and the way to actually absorb some of those tiny things. 
And there will be times, though, because although it's not easily angered, there will be times that you have to express your frustration and tell the truth. It means that we're going to have to learn to raise issues without raising our voice. It means you're going to have to be able to raise your concerns and issues truthfully without attacking the person. It's going to mean that you're going to have to learn to repent for the hurt that you've caused without excusing yourself or self-shaming to the point that they're like, forget it, I don't, I don't even know why I brought it up. You're going to have to learn to give and receive forgiveness freely. Now I know that there are hurts, heartbreaks and setbacks in marriage that are huge. There are things that people can do to you because you let them so close to your heart that it can feel like forgiveness is just out of reach and forgetting is out of the question. And can I tell you that restoration when those things happen is a journey. But I want to encourage you that God says that he is near to the brokenhearted. Which says that he is still there when it feels like everyone's walked out. And so if you're in this place today and you are in the midst of that kind of hurt, I want to encourage you, hold on to God. Because he hasn't let go of you. And and I'm saying that there are going to be things in your marriage, there are going to be things in your life that you may need to seek the help of an expert mediator or counselor. Those Times that you're going to have to look for the help of of an incredible godly person to help navigate those hurts. But, for the most part, you can discover, I've discovered that regular disagreements go a long way in preventing major disappointments. Regularly having disagreements goes a long way preventing major disappointments. Just learning to regularly express truthfully what's going on in my life. Or, or the story that I have told myself about what I've seen and being able to express that and repent of the things that are brought up in my world, it prevents... Sometimes when we, we were growing up, you know, we'd be married, like I said, for nearly 11 years. Uh, but there were so many times people would get on the stage and it's like, you've got to learn to fight well. And it's like, oh my goodness, we just don't fight. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe we're going to go home we're going to fight. And I realized... We constantly are bringing things up. It's not that there are not differences of perspectives or experiences. It's just that we have made it a habit, as Scripture encourages in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let anger build up in your life that it builds up to something so big that it requires a major course correction. Tiny course corrections upstream can help prevent major disappointments downstream. Learning to simply just express, hey, when you do that, you said that you'd be home at 4.30 and you didn't text and you got home at 5.30. Can I just tell you, when that does that, it puts in my head, you don't even think about us. I was like, well, that's not, the, it's like just things happen. Being able to address things. But if you don't bring that up, it has the ability to snowball to a place that the story in your head and your heart has built up to a place that now I'm living with someone that doesn't care about me. Meanwhile, their 4.30 just always goes long because there's a drama in that department. Can I encourage you? Learn to have healthy conflict so that you can begin to avoid some of these major disappointments. In order to do that, Van wants to join me. You have to learn to cultivate a safe environment to share. Patterson McMillan in their book, Crucial Conversations, they say people are willingly to have these hard conversations when these two things are there, a shared purpose and a shared respect. 
But it's like the reason that we're having this conversation is because we both have something that we're aiming for. What I've discovered is in almost all of our major arguments, we both want the same thing. My way. (laughs) You've discovered it in your fights too. And here's the thing. If our arguments are only about winning a point and not a person, you will end up losing every time. And so if we can learn to together, what could it look like if every marriage in this place began every major conflict of interest or perspective or hurt from the perspective of, hey, we are moving towards a better future. So let's fight to that point and not each other. It's like, hey, hey, I know that we want to have a relationship that we can trust each other. And so when you don't do that, so now we're fighting to get to that place that God is calling us to get to. I'm not just trying to win my side of the argument. No, we're fighting to get to where God is calling us. That sounded like we get it right all the time. We don't. Um, But can I encourage you, start with a shared purpose and lead with a shared respect. You can tell when somebody doesn't feel like they're being hurt because, or, or, or it's safe because they go to silence or violence. They begin to downplay it. They begin to deflect. They begin to just go quiet. Or they go to violence and they begin to raise their voice. They begin to just uh, call names and straw mans. And if, if in a conversation, if a conflict has become unsafe and you're no longer able to share your perspective, step back, hit pause. Not every conversation has to drive to the point that it arrives. Just say, hey, Let's just take a moment. Can we just step back? Can we just hit pause on this? I don't want you to feel like that's what I'm saying about that. And I'm sorry if, if that's the way that it's come across. Re-establish safety and then go back in. Learn to just hit pause in some of those moments. Start with a goal in mind. State your facts. Share your story. Talk tentatively. Don't use words like You always, you never, you never always. Just talk tentatively. Hey, I feel like what I've seen, this is what's in my heart. This is how I'm at. Could it be? Talk gently to each other. But begin with a shared goal in mind. And this is why... I want to encourage you, this is why God at the center of your relationship is so important. That if God in your marriage is the central point in which you're both pursuing, both of you, with your past experiences, your upbringings, you are always going to be two different people from two different starting points with two different perspectives. But if God is the aim And His design for your marriage is the point that you're pursuing. As you each individually pursue Him, you invariably will be drawn towards each other. Because wherever you start from, as you get closer to Him, you'll draw nearer to each other. And as you begin to understand who He says that you are, and you begin to understand who He says they are, you begin to be able to treat and receive each other the way that God intends you to treat and receive each other. It is so vital that you keep God at the center of your relationship so that He can draw you into the place that He has for you. Draw nearer to each other. Be consistent in your action. 
and create a safe environment for healthy conflicts. If you can do this, these are just encouragements. Friends, if you can do this, I guarantee all of your relationships, if you just take one step, that relationship will be richer and stronger and more resilient. And in a world where relationships are fracturing by the minute, you can be different. You can stand out. Your marriage can be a bedrock of this house that from so many, for so many people, it can be a source of strength. You can be different. But friends, can I encourage you? Pursue connection. Be consistent. And have healthy, healthy conflict. And if we can do that, I believe that we can stand out. And our marriages can be the signpost to the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his church the way that he intended. Can we stand right across this room? If you're married in this place, I want to just take a couple minutes and pray for you and your marriage. If you're not married, I I just hope that this has encouraged you to just begin to think, how can I do this? How can I begin to prepare for this relationship? And if you're not, it's not on the cards, just how can I give the most unsolicited advice I possibly could? Can I pray with you? Jesus, I thank you, God. I mean, your marriage is important. Father, I thank you for this house and the marriages in it. Father, I pray, God, for a divine health on the relationships in this house. God, in the midst of the complexities and the nuances and the troubles and the difficulties that come with marriage, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your name would be at the center of it all. And God, where there needs to be more clarity, where there needs to be deeper connection, and where there needs to be healthier conflict, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, and that you would help them pursue a deeper marriage to the glory of God. Right across this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to also give an invitation to people. If you are here perhaps you came into this place and you came in today looking for God can I encourage you that that, yeah we're talking about relationships but all of this points to a God that is intimately and extravagantly in love with you that all of this The way that we relate to one another is a response to the extravagant love that Jesus has already shown to us. You're here, you're wanting to connect with God, you're wanting to turn your life around. Friend, can I tell you very simply, you need Jesus. You need a Savior. You cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. And if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus and you came here today with that, Pursuit, I want to give you the opportunity right now to just simply say yes to Him. You want to get right with God, you can only do that because of what Jesus has done. If that's you right across this room and you're saying, Ryan, I want to get right with God, would you just right where you're at, raise your hand or maybe place your hand on your heart. I don't want to pray with you. And then we've got people in the team that would love to 
talk with you. We've got a Bible reading plan on the app that we'd love to help get you onto to just explain this journey. But if that's you right now, maybe raise your hand or place your hand on your heart and I want to pray with you right where you stand. Jesus, today, Father, for people that are making the decision to put their trust in you, God, I pray that you would give them the strength to turn from the way they were living and turn to you. Forgive them. Fill them with your love in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen.